1: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go, the 602 Club. You know it. (laughs) I was there more times
2: than I can remember.
0: Hello and welcome to the Black Spire, and we're so excited to be here tonight. I mean, the 602 Club. It's so hard to keep track of all the uh, watering holes here in the unknown regions, and. Wow, I, I'm surprised we even found this place. Luckily, I have with me two members of the Jedi Council who, well, they were able to navigate by the Force and they were able to get us here, so thank the Force. Uh, and, and none other than the one and only Bruce Gibson. Hello, hello there.
2: I can't wow. help but do that, hello there. The Obi-Wan, well, we all do it.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, you do kind of <laughs> want to do that. I mean, it's it's hard not to. And he's just so dang sexy when he does it, too. Who, me? Anyway. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yes, That's no, exactly, my first huh, exactly huh. what I was of. Yeah, no, not you and McGregor at all. Uh, John Mills, uh, Jedi Master here. Uh, it's great to have you back to the 602 Club.
1: Uh, yeah, I was going to do hello there, but now I'm too self-conscious about it because Bruce did it so strong. So I'm just like, howdy. Somebody's got to say howdy in Star Wars, right? Now it's me. I say howdy. So there howdy. You go. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like uh something that Cad Bane would say. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ooh, I like doesn't that.
1: Doesn't that doesn't
0: that sound like something he would say?
1: Yeah, well, he definitely did. Oh, he said uh oh, he said something that was really uh well, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cad Bane's awesome. Yeah, and that's yes. beside
0: the point. Uh, Yes, I actually have his pop figure sitting over there in the box still because it's so cool. Anyway, uh, that has nothing to do with anything. We are talking about uh, Thrawn alliances tonight, and uh, you know, I needed the I needed the the top members of the Jedi Council for the Six Hundred Two Club here to do that. uh, As uh, Timothy Zahn has given us a brand new book with Thrawn and Vader and Padme, so yes, it's it's like three major players. Uh, all together in one book. It's fantastic, and I I can't wait to dive into it. But before we do that, just a quick reminder, you can find us all over the place. In fact, if you're over on uh, iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts giving us a listen, hit us up with a star rating review. Uh, It really helps people find the show. Um, And I love hearing what you have to say about the show. It's been a while since we've gotten a new review, but um, thank you to everybody who's already done that. Uh, And, you know, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you get the shows as soon as we drop them as well. So, you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. So, no matter where that is, type in the Six O Two Club, and you will find us. In fact, we're even on Spotify. So, uh, you can also find us over on Twitter at Trek FM or on Facebook at Facebook.com dot slash trekfm. There's the listeners only discussion group where all of us hang out every once in a while. Uh, you can f- talk to us. Now, the best ways to get there: uh, type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or if you're over at the website. Trek.fm hit discussion on any of the show pages, and that will bring you over there. And last but not least, uh, if you go over to trek.fm/slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and um, you can send us an email. Got one the other week about somebody who was saying, You know, I really liked the show that you did on the Close Encounters. Uh, maybe you could do uh, some of his other movies like E.T. or War of the Worlds. So, you know, uh, you never know. Those could show up. Um, and so emails like that, keep them coming. But guys, um, let's dive into this book because I think there's a, there's just a lot happening in this book because the plot has two different time periods that it's running in. It has the quote unquote present. And that present takes place right after uh, season three of Rebels when... Thrawn has been thwarted by the Bendu and the rebels get away um, and uh, he has to come before the Emperor because the Emperor has a mission for both him and Vader at the same time to go to the Unknown Regions to check out a disturbance in the Force um, that is happening there. This coincides with where in the past storyline during the Clone Wars when it was alluded to in the original Thrawn novel uh, that just came out last year, two years ago now. No, just last year. Uh, And that Thrawn and Anakin had met. And so this is that story. And so these two stories interweave with each other. And on top of that, in the past, uh, what leads to Anakin to go searching out in the unknown regions and meeting Thrawn is that Padmé's handmaiden would you say her name Duja you think
1: that I mean that, that sounds right uh
0: yeah duja yeah. we'll say duja yeah. i didn't listen to the audiobook so uh she's uncovered something going on on Batu um and Padme goes to investigate, and when Anakin doesn't hear back, he travels there, runs into this mysterious blue alien, and they form a partnership uh, to find their missing uh, ambassador for the Republic. And so that's the basis for the two stories. It's a lot. So I wanted to just kind of start there with you guys and, and ask, how did that setup work for the book for you guys?
1: I mean, I, for me, it worked Perfectly. I I have to be honest that the fact that it wasn't a strictly linear narrative, I think, really helps it a lot because we have had so many stories already by this point of getting to know Vader better or, you know, getting to know what's going on inside of his head. And we've had examinations of the Anakin and Padme dynamic. I think that it makes it much more... Uh it makes the pacing a lot better, I think, to have it function in a sense like a Clone Wars arc where, you know, you're basically jumping through a couple of different episodes is the way that it felt like to me. And it's just that the time periods shifted. And I think that it made an exploration of Thrawn's character deeper and more interesting because you got to see how consistent he was from the time periods, as well as how he had changed a little bit. So it gets a whole lot of character development in for Thrawn. So I think think it worked really, really well to do it that way.
2: It didn't work as well for me. It started off well, but I'd say about a third of the way into the book, it started to get a little confusing, maybe because I was starting and stopping. But when it there would be a chapter devoted to Anakin and Thrawn in the bar on Batuu. And then I'd come back and it's a chapter of Vader and Thrawn in the same bar. And then we're back to Anakin and and Thrawn at the bar, leaving the bar. And I was getting to a point where I had to stop and remind myself, well, wait, I thought they are, oh no, wait, that was the past. This is the future. Like it was getting a little bit confusing. It was too parallel. Uh, too close to being parallel to each other in that scene on Batu. But once it deviated away from that, it was fine for me. It was just that one third way through the book where it started to get a little confusing to me that I just had to keep reminding myself where each thing was happening to which characters at which time periods. So uh, let me stop you fair. if
0: you've heard this one before. Uh, so a Jedi and a Chiss walk into a bar. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh-huh wait wait what time period is that <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> um no i i i can see what you're saying um now it, it didn't bother me but personally uh, i i read through the book very quickly the first time and then when i because i had to get the re- I got the review copy and I had to review it for the Star Wars Report which you can find Bruce on every week uh over there at the starwarsreport.com uh and I do the book reviews over there so you can check those out um uh, reading it very quickly and then uh, in the reread I did the same thing I I started it just a few days ago and just read back through it again and so um it wasn't that part wasn't confusing for me but I uh, John I liked what you said because I felt the same way but it almost felt like it was the Clone Wars and Rebels had intersecting episodes going back and forth together. Yeah, you- and so that's really kind of... Um, in fact, I think, Bruce, we may have been talking about this behind the scenes, you know, on the other side of the bar, um, where it was... I was telling you I was hearing the different voices, but it was from the animated version of these characters. You know, so it's Matt Lanter and Cat Tabor and, and of course, you know, Thrawn um, uh, from... um uh, Lars Mikkelsen, uh, and then you know James Earl Jones is is Vader, but I was hearing the animated versions of those characters and even kind of seeing it play out in animated form, which is much different than you know some of the other things. Um, but at the same time, if I wanted to, I I could take the the book cover that they had the the San Diego book cover what was Thrawn in Anakin. You know, and I could take that and I could use that if I wanted to. But really, I I just it it felt like a mixture of those two shows
1: put together. See, it, it's interesting is even though it felt like a mixture, uh, I I actually was able to picture, and this has been a big hurdle because uh, you, the animated Anakin is the one that's more present in my brain at this point because there's just more screen time with him. But I was I I have to give a lot of credit to Zahn because I actually was envisioning Hayden Christensen in this book. And I think that he found a great voice for the character that felt, I didn't feel beholden to one expression of the character or the other. I could see it both ways. I can hear Lanter in my head, and I can see Christensen. And it's, as we're talking, I think and even, I can understand what you're saying, Bruce, but I think maybe what worked for me about it was though that specific segment played like an episode of lost with the flashbacks interspersed with the current action going on. But I, I can completely understand what you're saying. That's a lot. That's a very visual and audio sort of thing. And I can see where it would not necessarily translate for everybody really well in book format. I, I, I can understand that.
2: Yeah, And I, and again, it was just really that one piece where yeah. they're, both scenes are in the same location. But it's interesting that you mentioned about seeing Hayden Christensen and hearing Matt Lanter. The way you describe that is exactly the same for me. For the most part, I was seeing Hayden Christensen. I would hear... Sometimes Hayden, sometimes Matt Lanter, but more so Matt Lanter's voice, Mm. even though I'm picturing Hayden Christensen. When it came to Padme, I was seeing Natalie Portman throughout. I was hearing Natalie Portman, seeing her throughout. But regardless of who it is, the voices were spot on. Whether it's with the, I, I think it probably favors more so what we saw in the animated adventures. The voice actors probably sound better with that dialogue because like you said, I think we're more familiar with it. Uh, but definitely, Thrawn's voice was definitely the yes. animated vo- voice for sure, which I wasn't too keen on because I'd like to have more inflection than what that actor did at times. I wanted, because there was a point that he was yelling on the Star Destroyer or something, and I just couldn't. Mm. I sometimes had to ratchet up a little, like more so than I feel like we get from the animated series.
0: Yeah, there's really, I'm trying to think, there's only that one moment where Thrawn really loses his cool, and it's where he it it's that episode in the, in Rebels when they are on um Ryloth uh at Harris' home and he just loses it with that dude and he like grabs him and like and then it's done but like there's just this moment of like rage and you hadn't seen that before so yeah that is interesting but i for the most part i could really hear like what was great about this is that i could just hear it the dialogue playing out as the characters, like r- regardless of what I was seeing them as or anything, the the dialogue felt like when I read Thrawn, I heard that voice. You know, when I read Vader, I could hear James Earl Jones doing that dialogue. You know, uh, you know if I if I heard uh, it was Anakin or Padme, I could hear one of the, the the actors. You know, and I could go back and forth. It didn't matter, but I could I could still hear those those characters coming through. So what was great is that um I was able to kind of amalgamize <laughs> all the different forms of those of those characters and put it all together and it felt like natural. And I thought that was the thing that was great is this just that Zahn I felt like through the writing and through the plot of the story, he was finding a way to capture the spirit and emotion of these characters in a way that felt completely honest and real with something we would have seen if they had done a you know clone wars and rebels back and forth uh almost like a clone wars rebels lost episode you know uh like I like that John so I think that's really cool um and I just I liked the way that I liked the way the plot and 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 it specifically came down to you know you know Vader uh has that that recollection Um, a little bit later on in the book, and he talks about how there's this symmetry and the force and the balance manifested in patterns and resonances and strange reunions and, you know, how people who have been separated for a long time can come back together and and you can come back to different places and create new memories for good or ill. And I just, I love that whole idea that this whole book is this idea of this strange, like we always talk about the, 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 um, tone poem, but we're seeing a small tone poem just in this book of the relationship between uh, Thrawn and Anakin and Thrawn and Vader and how these two events have played into kind of making them who they are uh, at this moment in the present. So I just, I thought that was really cool.
1: I agree I and I think that Zahn is... Uh a a very gifted writer obviously but i think that he has um it's this uh, it, it's really hard to try to state it and i don't like they there are a lot of great authors producing a lot of great star wars material right now like i i i've really been enjoying what they've been producing uh on the whole and i think where Zahn has an advantage Is he had he spent time in the in the Star Wars Galaxy, of course, in the past. You know, the elder statement statesman of, of Star Wars authors and everything. But I really enjoyed it. I think this book really leverages a lot of that experience. And he this very much feels like somebody who's had a lot of time to revisit some ideas in his head and find a way to express them. And have them carry through and I think that's most likely what has what has made this book for me where he has gotten those voices right is he's had so much time to refine his approach to them and understand them just on an intrinsic level.
2: Well, and if you think about the Thrawn trilogy, which we covered on previous episodes, he only had the movies, the original trilogy to work right. from at that point. And as we're talking about hearing the voices from the different animated series, that works to his advantage too, because he's going on that same journey as we are. He's watching The Clone Wars, he's definitely watching Rebels because his character of Thrawn is in there. Yeah. And I'm sure he's talked to the writers. I mean, that's got to just spark all kinds of ideas and really tap into who these characters are and really start to understand them that when he starts to write the book, it's probably easier to flesh them out because they're more defined than what he was doing when he was working on the Thrawn trilogy, when it was just that uh, original trilogy of movies at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: I'd say too, the thing that I really enjoyed is how the plot of the book plays into the themes of the book. And some of those we'll talk a little bit further on later, but how each section plays into that uh in different ways and really the the main title of it being alliances you know why do we make alliances with people and and what do those do for us and 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 are they alliances to which once they have used their uh, they, they they become unuseful to us or or they've served their purpose we just discard or that we continue and that's definitely a theme that really gets explored, you know, as, as Padme has her interactions with Thrawn um, and he kind of challenges her. And I guess it's a good time to go ahead and talk about it. But, you know, he challenges her this whole idea uh, about, you know, because um, he has a mission for his people and he says he has to leave. And she's like, you're just going to leave. We've got things to do. And he's like, well, I, I've, I've, it's, it, you know, I was given a mission. And she's like, well, we need you. And he's like, "Well, I, I I've got to go." And she's like, "Will you just abandon people?" And she's like, "Isn't that what your republic does? Like, your separatists just want to leave. Why don't you just let them leave? You know, right. like." And so it, there's this whole thing about you know what and why we have alliances, and and is it just looking out for number one, or is there something else there? And honestly, that reminded me of all the way back in episode one where, you know, uh, it comes back to the idea of Obi-Wan talking to Boss Nass and saying, look, it, you and the Naboo form a symbiont circle. What happens to one will happen to the other. You know, you can't you you can't break that, you know, whether you want to or not. And how Palpatine uses the uh, the greed of the galaxy to break that into these segments of the of of the galaxy again so that it is then just based on alliances f- as a consumer instead as um uh as a um more of a friendship you know like um we we just consume and I just thought the the theme of that was like really strong um throughout this book and it of course applies to to Vader and, and Thrawn and their interactions um and stuff and I just I was like wow this is a this is a really cool theme and it's not it's not like in your face but I definitely think it's something that's really important for today for sure.
1: Yeah I uh I think there's also um, piggybacking along with that a very interesting philosophical uh, delineation with Thrawn that illustrates both why he's super dangerous and also not malicious. Why he doesn't ever come across as evil is because he has the same utilitarian uh, capacities mentally as Palpatine to view each relationship as a means to an end. And to view the ends as justifying everything else that you do to get to that point. I'm going to do X because I need to do Y. I don't care about Z. I'm going to ignore this because it doesn't help. And I think that's what makes this philosophical debate between Thrawn and Padme so interesting. Is because Thrawn is harder to manipulate because of the fact that he doesn't have that emotional tendency that Padme does. Padme is easier for Palpatine to manipulate. Everybody's easier for Palpatine to manipulate because they have these emotional connections. You're not just going to leave, are you? You've got to do the right thing. You've got to do this. Whereas Thrawn boils it down with that, that exact sentiment of, why not just let him go? It does, And it's all because... Palpatine's goal is control and power. Thrawn doesn't have that ulterior goal. And I think that's what makes him so interesting because he is allied with the bad guys, but you also see him in the past allied with the good guys because he doesn't have a sort of moral center to manipulate on either end. He 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 has a loyalty foundation, but that loyalty, and of course, that's why it's called alliances. Where does his loyalty really, really lie? I think that one of the most brilliant things about this book is you never, you can't answer it definitively. Is it with himself? Is it with his people? Is it with himself by way of his people? Is people by you know? And I think that's um, that's really what jumps to the forefront between between him and Padme in that conversation.
2: Well, at this book and the previous book, Thrawn, just taps into what you were just saying, John. For me, this is the first time, and I haven't read all the Thrawn books that are out there. I did read the trilogy and maybe one other book. But for the Thrawn book and this book, that's where Thrawn became more of a less clear person to me. He was no longer the villain. He's just out for himself. And so sometimes he's the good guy and sometimes he's the bad guy. I don't think of him as being necessarily someone who is 100% dedicated to the empire. He is working for the empire, but like you said, he's almost out for himself, but not in a bad way. Not that he's going to turn his back on the empire. He's going to try to achieve what he needs to achieve to get done what he needs to get done for himself while at the same time trying to, uh, to fulfill the needs and the wants of the empire at the same time. And he does that brilliantly in this book. And with the title of Alliance, I don't like that the book is called Thrawn Alliances because this book is really a Thrawn Padme Anakin book. I didn't feel like it's a Thrawn book. Hmm. I know for marketing purposes and stuff that it's called Thrawn. And I do feel like we're going to get another Thrawn book out of this. And the fact that's called Alliances, I saw it with these three and with Thrawn, his own alliance. But the way this book ends with his own people and the Grisk, that there's apparent alliance going there. So I almost feel like the title of Alliances is a precursor, precursor to what may be happening further down the line in the next book.
0: Mm. So I think this
2: is just the start of the Alliances.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, too, because, you know, uh, the idea of alliances and and why are we in them, you know, is it this utilitarian type of alliance, which seems to be Thrawn's kind of MO, which is utilitarianism and in, in, in most senses, you know. Um, and yet, at the same time, you know, there is a loyalty to his people that goes beyond utilitarianism because they are his people. So there is something that he holds above this kind of a philosophical idea uh, of the needs of the many, basically, outweighing uh, the needs of the few or the one kind of idea. And so there's all of these different layers, and I, I, I agree with both of you that the philosophical side of this is that Padme doesn't realize that the Emperor's playing off of her morality he's and the Jedi's morality um, by creating this war and making it seem like all these things but it's not actually any of those things you know it's just a means to an end and and in the background he's created all of these alliances with different places to manufacture what he needs to do to create the end of his enemy so that he can rule the galaxy and so you know uh, when you think about alliances it's like wow this book really goes beyond just you know Thrawn and and Anakin and and Padme there's so much more happening and you kind of see this Um, and I kind of you know I I really responded the idea of that the moment that everything becomes about a transactional relationship is is when we lose you know like this is this is that's when we lose And, and that's what had happened during the Clone Wars and that is the way in which Thrawn approaches everything as a transaction, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I don't necessarily know if he realizes yet that he will lose too because transactions don't last as long as true, like, loyalty um, and friendship and those kind of things, which is something that seems to... he, Other than the loyalty to his people... Um, there, there seems to be, I don't know. And this is the hard part because I want to ask you because then Thrawn does come back in the Clone Wars time period and help out Anakin and Padme. Even he completed his mission, but then he comes back and proves that he had a loyalty to them that went beyond just getting what he wanted. So it's like, I don't know. It, it, it still it's very muddy. He's morally ambiguous, and it's very crazy to try and figure out.
1: Right. I I I see him coming back not even so much as loyal but but at the same time, like you know, at, at that point it sounds like I'm backpedaling to try to justify. But I, I think Thrawn has a sense of loyalty obviously to his people, but I think he has a sense of loyalty to people who haven't yet it's almost like a conditional trust. He doesn't trust completely, but I think that he also sees that there is some benefit because he talks about stories about the Jedi. I think he sees a benefit to measure Anakin's capabilities, like coming back, he can observe and he can see what's going on. And if he's there for when they figure out what's happening or he can at least figure out what's happening, what's at play, I think He winds up with enough data that he's able to say, oh, I get what's really happening here. I get how this is going down. Okay. And he can file that mentally and say, okay, so when Palpatine shows up again, okay, I know he's going to be the one that wins out because I see what's going on right now and I see all of these things that are being leveraged. But it is, I think just at the core of it is just this, and and it's in a sense maddening because of the fact that, That, uh, Kim and, you know, like you were saying, Matt, he does recognize that if all commanders were like Thrawn, the empire would be unstoppable. And it's specifically because Thrawn is not a commander seeking, seemingly seeking power. He's seeking his goals and he's not, he's not prone to play, but he's loyal to his crew. Because he mentions right. that he will collect people who are capable to put around him. So I think he has a sense of loyalty. It just doesn't function in a way that's as understandable to me, you know, frankly.
0: Yeah, well, and because I, I think you're absolutely right. Thrawn's leadership style, and I loved Kim and kind of thinking about this idea of, you know, the way he sees certain the big-time leaders in the Empire, whether it's Vader or even the Emperor or somebody like Tarkin is called out. You know, these guys that are throwing their weight around just trying to get power, whereas Thrawn literally is trying to build a better empire by lifting everybody up, you know? And so his his goal is to make everybody as smart as he is. You know, he spends all of this time with uh, Commodore Pharaoh uh teaching her and getting her to the to the goal, you know, and, and getting her to where he is thought process wise because he's teaching her just as he was Vanto in the first book, you know. And then by the end, Vanto was just on the same page and he's doing the same thing again, but he's also doing it with his entire crew, trying to make them the best versions of who they can be. You know, it's 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 like It's the old, you know, um, be all that you can be in the Imperial Army, you know, (laughs) Uh, and that's literally seems to be Thrawn's goal is that it's not just about me rising. I need to bring everybody else with me. And he seems to be the only one in the Empire who realizes that because everybody else is doing exactly what Palpatine wants them to do, which is to just use each other. Uh, and that's where, in the very end, where Vader realizes that Thrawn will never be a threat to him or the Emperor because that's his goal and not total domination. And therefore, his goal is not to take over my position or the Emperor's position, um, which is kind of... At least that's what Vader thinks, um, even though Thrawn has thought of three different ways to kill him, which
1: yeah. it's kind of funny. But, but you have to wonder, is there... Even as we're having this discussion, is there even a a more clever goal on Thrawn's part that the more people he interacts with in the Empire, the more people he trains, the more people he has a direct hand in exposing them to Chiss thinking and the Chiss way of life, he, if the Emperor makes a move against the Chiss, Thrawn sort of has this cell of people that respect him and if he's the representative of this species that the emperor wants to make a move against has he planted sort of seeds that work against the emperor by having people who respect and admire the chiss by way of thrawn does he make the empire less of a threat and more likely to work with the chiss instead of try to conquer them
2: yeah it's almost that he's there to protect the Chiss from the Empire by helping to deviate the Empire and create loyalty among some so that the Chiss are never threatened by a takeover of or from the Empire.
0: Right. And that's that's interesting, too, because, you know, uh, specifically pulling out Kimund, uh, again, you know, when they're rescuing the Chiss children... Uh, he thinks of himself, you know, he would lay himself on the line for anybody in the Empire, but these alien children. So you see that kind of xenophobia in somebody like Kimond that, uh, you know, traditionally in the EU uh, was famous in the Empire, you know. Uh, and so um, that kind of being there as well, and that Thrawn has continually have to overcome that, which, again, I liked— um, you know, uh, Thrawn when they're, he's having these back and forth with Vader, you know, saying, "Oh, you're not after me because I'm an alien. You're after me because of my loyalty. That I can deal with. That's much easier to deal with." So, you know, this 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 idea though of his leadership style, I just thought was really interesting because, you know, Kimin does say, "Man, if if this leadership style does spread, we you know this this empire could last forever." You know. Right. Um and it's because it's it's again kind of talking about that transactional nature, Thrawn there there doesn't seem to necessarily be this strange or our ulterior motive of Thrawn, at least that we know of right now, where he's training people for any other reason than that's his that's what he's supposed to do, right? That's what he believes a good admiral should grand animal should be doing, is is raising up the next generation. Um, and, and treating them with respect and that they should be taught, other than that they should just be peons to do what it is that you say they do because you're in charge, like a Tarkin or even a Vader. So I think it's it makes it really fascinating, but you can completely see, you know, as we know from Star Wars, you know, Palpatine definitely likes his leaders to kind of be one way um, because it keeps them from, uh, you know, ganging up and tried to take his power. Really. It's it's I feel like that's his goal is keep them fighting among themselves like, you know, dogs for the scraps while I take the heap.
1: Well, I think it's also interesting. I I think the next step because I think we all agree that there's inevitably uh, another book coming down. I think that what's very interesting at this point is we've had sort of a history of Uh, Anakin and Vader working along with Tarkin. I think it's a very interesting thought exercise, and I'd actually like to see it explored more directly in a follow-up book to this, of Vader interacting with Thrawn is a different thing than Vader interacting with Tarkin. But both command Anakin's respect, for obvious reasons. And I just find it very interesting because we see Vader listening to Tarkin, willing to go along with Tarkin and willing to be in partnership with Tarkin. We see him the same way with Thrawn. So now I'm endlessly curious, what would it be like to have Thrawn and Tarkin in the same room and then even throw Vader in for the mix, have, have some sort of mission where they're all together? would be very fascinating to me because obviously Tarkin is different than Thrawn. And I I think also very interesting is you see Vader's tendencies that manifest themselves later in The Empire Strikes Back to want to kill somebody who angers him. And Thrawn is the one that is able to soothe the savage Sith Lord, as it were. You know, there are constant references to Vader's hands sort of unconsciously drifting toward his saber, and Thrawn is able to just sort of talk him off of the ledge. Well, you see this other commander type in uh, in the original trilogy. Vader doesn't listen to them. So that in and of itself is very interesting. But, I, you know, I would be really interested to see Tarkin in contrast.
2: Yeah, but it, I feel like Vader would kill both of them. If they were in the same room, because that would be a very interesting dynamic between Thrawn and Tarkin with Vader there. Because one of the things I liked about this book is the Thrawn Vader relationship of the who's in charge. And it's very similar to Tarkin and Vader. When you watch A New Hope, the question is, well, who's really in charge here? Is it Tarkin? Is it Vader? And there were times when I was reading this book where the scenes with Thrawn and Vader, I would sometimes read it as if, what if Thrawn were Tarkin in this scene? And so I would read the Thrawn character almost like Tarkin to see how it worked. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it did. not But that relationship of who's in charge between the two was very apparent in this book. And so that's, that's why I kept going to Tarkin. Now, if you put the three of them in a room, I think Vader can handle one of each separately on their own, but if they were both there, I think Vader would just lose it and probably take them both down.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because I think Tarkin's leadership style is much more abrasive and, you know, um, he's, he's much more of an opportunist. He, takes, he, he, he finds his opponent's weaknesses and then gets them when they're at their lowest. Like, I think of Rogue One, with Krennic, right? Mm-hmm. He swoops in and he takes over the Death Star, basically. Like, now that it's operational, you know, like he he he's positioned himself in a place to be able to do those kind of things, whereas Thrawn doesn't care about those games. He doesn't play the political games. So um, it it's much different, which I, I have to say with the Thrawn-Vader relationship, um, you know, the beginning of the book where Thrawn thinks to himself how... Vader is on Tarkin and the Emperor's side with this idea of this Death Star, this Krennic's plan. Whereas you know he has his Tie Defender program, and by the end, Vader has switched his alliance to Thrawn and saying, "I I like your ship. Here's a couple of ideas that you should go work on, and I will talk to the Emperor about this." You know, mm-hmm. he he seems um, much more in favor of that, which makes sense because Anakin is is a Starfighter pilot and that's what he loves. Um, and he still can't let go of that. So um, that was a really interesting dynamic as, a dynamic as well because I felt like Thrawn and Vader, that whole relationship, I feel like Thrawn is kind of able to win Vader over in the end. Specifically, and I think it comes down to the moment where they... Uh, speak unspeak the 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 elephant in the room that Thrawn knows who Vader is yeah. um and that earns his respect like he's earned Vader's respect in a way that you nobody else could ever do um because of this whole relationship and everything but also I think Thrawn like you said John is the one person who can kind of talk Vader f- off the ledge of anger and get him back to being more like the best parts of Anakin. Anakin is not just a go-getter. He was a thinker too. You know, he keep, you know, and you see that um in that other side with the Anakin and Thrawn where he's trying to, you know, intellectually keep up with Thrawn and he's having fun when he's realizing he can. Vader is still he's less inclined to do that but by the end of the book i think you feel like vader it when he has that conversation with thrawn and he's been able to piece together almost everything he feels pretty good about himself because he knows how smart thrawn is
1: yes and what's what i think this the the road we're going down here that i think is really interesting is w- All of us as fans have talked, oh, well, what if Qui-Gon had been alive? What if Obi-Wan had done this differently? What if Ahsoka had stayed in Anakin's life? What if this? What if that? There's almost a sense coming out of this book and coming out of this conversation that we're having where we know what happens to Thrawn at the end of Rebels. What if Thrawn had remained to make Vader an even better Sith Lord, as it were? In a sense, I think that Zahn has very cleverly now come in here and presented a case that maybe the Emperor paired them up, specifically because the Emperor viewed Thrawn as a way to make Vader better. He loses Thrawn. Well, who's the next guy that can take. Oh, all right. Tarkin, try to train him up in how to run the place, you know, while I'm off actually running the place. So now I I almost wonder if Thrawn had remained would Vader have achieved the greatness of evil control the zen-like evil that Palpatine hit to take over the galaxy. I think you I think that's a really great question that I wish
0: we had an answer to. And yeah. also makes me think and this is something that goes back to just Thrawn and his character from both time periods because I'm kind of wondering if the future for Thrawn is not to be evil like you know because I feel like here Mm. you're seeing that Thrawn's vision of what he wants for the universe is not necessarily good or evil it's just the continued existence of his people and in, in, in seeing them flourish and finding that, you know, they had their own enemies, the, the Gisk were, you know, becoming involved, and it seems like there's this, um, there's a lot going on in the outer regions with the Gisk and the, the, um, the Chiss, <laughs> everything rhymes. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, just this whole thing, and that, you know, his, maybe his coming to the Empire was, was trying to find a way to um, uh, use that might basically to help his people, which is one of the things that he gets accused of by Vader. So it just, it, I just kind of wonder though if, if, if you know, a, this this again, this idea of alliances and why we make them. Um, if you know where we end up with Thrawn at the end of Rebels, could it be him not being evil in in the long run? of the story uh, and actually coming back and being good. Uh, I don't know. Mm. It just makes it interesting. It just a, mm. But
2: is it the same Thrawn as we got in the original Thrawn trilogy? I mean, it's in a lot of ways, this character starting to feel just like you were saying, Matt, like, is he moving more towards good? There's a blurred line where, to me, I felt like he was more looking for control and power in the Empire in the original trilogy. And I'm just wondering if this character is moving away from what we originally knew. Or how do you connect those dots?
1: I think that while while I agree he, he's not malicious and I hesitate, you know, it's hard to call him evil because he seems like such a... Zahn does a really great head game of constructing this time on an imperial ship where you had to continually say to yourself it's almost like honestly it's almost like watching john smith at home in the man in the high castle you see this guy in a, in uh, if anybody hasn't watched it it's an alternative history thing based on a philip k dick novel where in this alternate history the the axis powers won world war ii and so, coming soon to a Sixo Club near you. Oh, yeah! It's I love the show so much. But one of the mind tricks that show does with you is you meet this one character where you have to continually remind yourself he's working for the bad guys. Stop giving him so many breaks. I think the the inherent problem with Thrawn, the thing that makes him eagle, eagle the thing that makes him evil is the fact that he doesn't care about the moral ramifications of what he's doing. He doesn't care if he's the type of person who's, Oh, well the whole planet's got to be destroyed to end the, he would be, even though he disagrees with the death star, uh, you know, in concept as a, a useful use of resources, he doesn't disagree with the application of power for the sake of stability. Well, you got to blow some people up. Well, that's what's got to happen. That's how we're going to get things done. And that, I think, is what makes him definitely in the evil category, is he does not care who gets hurt on the way to his goal.
0: Yeah, because in the end, there's this amorality to him, which you know we consider those people to be evil. You know, because there's no set moral code other than, again, as we talked about early for him, this utilitarian um, commitment to whatever it is that he's committed to. You know, so whether that's his people, that's the empire, you know, whatever he's pledged his loyalty to, um, the the only morality for him is his word. I've given you my word that, you know, I will do this um, and I'll keep it you know so yeah i th- i think you're absolutely that that's kind of perfect actually and that that makes him kind of an insidious villain because you don't really see it as being so villainous all the time because yeah it kind of seems like a nice guy even Kimmin thinks that you know right like this dude's pretty awesome if if you know we could get more leaders like this
2: yeah, yeah, perfect, John. We we can end the show now. You,
1: you said it all. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> now the homework assignment is definitely to watch the Man in the High Castle because that.
0: Oh, it's coming to like I said, a six o'clock. Yeah.
1: No, I, uh, I, yeah. I, so. I I just I think that um, you know I I I just I have to go back to again give Zahn a lot of credit for the fact that he constructs this compelling story and this compelling arc. And this compelling character where you have to stop every so often and say, no, bad guy. He's a bad guy. You don't like what he's doing. He's a bad guy. You know, because it's so easy to fall into this <laughs> sense of respect for somebody who gets the job done and focuses on his goals. Like those are things that we treasure in society. And it's, uh, it's really a fun way to, to screw with you.
2: Do you think we need to give credit to the writers of Star Wars Rebels that has they've taken this character and they've given the character even more depth for Zahn to play off of? That yes. That this has given them the, him the hints of things that he could do with the character that he may not have thought about to do before.
1: I, I think that's an absolutely fair point. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that the, just that free flow of ideas and the storylines that they came up with absolutely agree with you yeah
0: yeah no i i agree um i i mean to me you know i love the originals on trilogy uh the you know the original thrawn works that the, that he did but i do think that this thrawn is is much there's such a depth to him comparatively that to what he was in in that original trilogy um where he was just the bad guy. And yeah, he was really smart, and he was cool and everything. But this, it's like we just had a, probably a 20-minute conversation about the, what's driving this guy, and we still don't have necessarily a clear answer. And I think that's a really great character because you can bring him so many different ways. And we haven't really talked about what did you guys think about his interaction with Thrawn, Anakin, and Padme and that dynamic because I thought that was very interesting to kind of see that dynamic as compared to you know him and Vader, where that's much more antagonistic. This is much more you know um, I, Anakin and him kind of make a fun buddy cop film, and then you add Padme in there, and then he's like, "Oh, I see, I see what you guys are," you know, uh huh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't hide that.
2: Yeah, I love the dynamic between the three. I think if anything, I was just happy to have Anakin and Padme in a book again, and just seeing those two characters together and uh, adding Thrawn in there, just added a whole nother element to it. And you're right. They were like, almost like a buddy cop, which I kept waiting for something to happen between those two characters that would lead later to Vader not trusting Thrawn or hating Thrawn. But I didn't really quite pick up on that because if anything, I felt as if Anakin was learning that Thrawn was somebody he could trust. But then as Vader, he was having a hard time trusting him, but Thrawn was there always good at convincing Vader to trust him. And Vader was learning that along the line. If anything, my favorite part of this book is the dynamic between Anakin, Padme, and Thrawn v- versus Vader and Thrawn? The Vader and Thrawn was okay. I mean, it was good, but I preferred the Anakin, Padme, Thrawn piece better. Uh,
1: the thing I like about the introduction of Padme is that uh, Zahn does a great job of making her the you know the the intelligent, capable character that we we grew to love uh, in, in the clone wars. And I think what it, I think her presence, I think what works so well is that you can see Anakin's own trouble dealing with his, his duty and his personal life, which is of course a theme that runs through, you know, all of the clone wars, all of the movies, all of that sort of thing. Anakin is trying to straddle two worlds and having her in, it would have been way too easy to have this story be here's Thrawn and Anakin, here's Thrawn and Vader. This is what's different. This is what informs that. Padme becomes that X factor that comes in that I think if you really tease it out, you can see that Thrawn understand. you know, we talk about Thrawn talking Vader off the ledge. I think that's because Thrawn has figured out how to appeal to the same things that Padme knew how to appeal to. And in some ways even a, appeal to them in, in the ways that she couldn't. Like when Thrawn and Padme are both saying, blowing up this mind is a terrible idea. This is really bad. We shouldn't be doing this. And then Anakin runs off. And Padme basically says to Thrawn, eh, once he's made up his mind, it's kinda done. I think that is probably why Thrawn can interact with Vader since he's figured things out and can say, Ah, okay, I know where I need to direct this conversation before he says he's made up his mind and and nudge him along uh, you know, the appropriate path.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're you guys are absolutely right that you know without Padme in this book, you lose that um, that wild card uh, for Anakin, you know, that makes the story much too easy for him because in many ways, his dual loyalties of the Republic and the mission uh, and and the frustration of Padme being in the way of that, you know, and like just making it easy for him because then he has his loyalties to her and his loyalties to her outweigh many times his loyalties to the Republic. And that's the question that Vader then has about Thrawn. Where are his loyalties? Are they to the Emperor and to the Empire? or Are they to his people? And which one is going to win out? And what Vader can't understand is how Thrawn can do both. And that doesn't make sense to him because Anakin can't do both. Mm. Anakin's binary. Uh, and he always has been. And I think that's the the interesting thing is is that Anakin still runs very much on that um uh as Vader he still runs on that whole thing you can only serve one at a time really you can't have more than one master um and you can't have more than one reason for doing any things and and you know which is interesting because you know we're all complicated and and that's what Thrawn is he's very complicated and he does things for many different reasons but that doesn't mean he's not trying to make sure that he serves the most amount of people even if they're his people and the empire because he doesn't see why those two should be at odds you know and and that's the interesting thing is in many ways like you know uh vader is the twitter mob and <laughs> Thrawn is the guy in the mm-hmm. background, being like, well, "Why can't why can't we have both? You know, why can't we have Marvel and DC? Why can't we have Star Trek and Star Wars? You know, like why why can't we do both? Why can't we like both? You know, like he's that guy, um, and I just think it's very interesting um, it, because Thrawn then can play on that with, like I think you're saying, John, with Vader because he knows how to get him to start thinking in a different way, in a way that Padme couldn't because for Padme and Anakin, there was all this other baggage that went on with things, you know, and and Thrawn doesn't have that. So he's able to help him see a new perspective, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a a certain point of view. Uh, and that's interesting because Anakin really has always struggled with that in his life of, of being able to see anything from another point of view other than his own.
1: Yeah, and, and Thrawn obviously, you know, being able to, piece together you know Anakin sees oh there's clone armor they're going to infiltrate they're going to get in our our legions and they're going to turn against us and we're not going to see it coming but Thrawn very much sees that next step and I, I think he even gives voice to it saying that well that doesn't really make sense for the separatists to do that and he like you can tell that Thrawn is just that step ahead of Anakin. And I think what's very interesting is that Vader still isn't making that step ahead. Anakin doesn't see all of the consequences of his actions uh, or all of the things in play because he's very, to to your point, Matt, about being binary, he's an either-or there are there's clone trooper armor therefore it must be separatists are doing this he doesn't take a second to step back and say well wait a minute is there something else going on here because they're making both clone trooper armor and they're making droids out of this hold on a second what what could possibly be going on uh, aside from what i just instantly locked into as my conclusion and it I guess that's what makes uh, you know their dynamic interesting. But what makes Padme puzzling is that she's here in this combo and it's another situation where Padme resigns herself to Anakin doing the thing that he set his mind on, blowing up the mine at the end. And it's so it's sort of frustrating because Padme is a very competent and capable character and I'd like to see them do even more exploration of what it is that makes her so uh, acquiescent to Anakin like she is here. You know, why can't she put her foot down and say the Republic says, no, I'm speaking for the Republic. You're a soldier for the Republic. I'm the branch of government that tells you, no, we're going to take a different tactic on this.
2: You think she's too soft with Anakin?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I
2: hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. And it definitely shows in this book that she's always, yeah, she defends him. She seems to just go his way. Yeah. I mean, she's a very tough, independent character in the book, but you're right. She gets soft around him.
1: Yeah. And and there's obviously a reason, but.
0: In many ways, it's like Anakin is her kryptonite almost. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, he he gets around and she can't say. And, and I don't know if that doesn't have something to do with you know the way they met, and all of the the weird feelings that go through with all of that. You know, her new knowing he lost his mother, and um, I just they, they have the worst relationship since Oedipus, you know, it's just, it's (laughs) not great. Um, because they're both choosing these things for wrong reasons, you know? Um, and they're definitely going against their, she is definitely going against her better judgment, you know, um, from the beginning, but she gives in and makes that choice that many of us have done, you know, where we've, been with the wrong person even though we knew we should not be with that person we are with that person and we make bad choices then when we are with that person um it's almost
2: like she's sorry for him like you're saying the past and everything yeah i don't know
0: it's it again it's a comp it's complicated
1: right i and i think that i'm you know even layering on top of that i mean the jedi are the same way with him is it just that everybody is in a in you know a a backup, with the exception of Thrawn, everybody just backs off of Anakin because oh, that's just who he is. That's just that's just what happens. Oh well. Well, I he's mean, special. I know, but you know, given what happens to the planet when he sets mm-hmm. those charges off in the mine, like I would love to see the Jedi Council after that. I mean, I, you know, is there some sort of Jedi timeout where it's like, dude, you? <laughs> You literally wrecked a whole planet. What the hell? You know, like this is this isn't cool. This is a very bad you thing. You created to have done.
0: hell on a planet. Yes, like, literally.
1: Hey, yeah. hold hold on to the idea of lava gonna come back to you. Um, it's yeah, I didn't like how that played out because it just was like, oh wow, right. But isn't that how it plays out so much throughout the Clone Wars, where something really bad happens, but does it and doesn't that wind up supporting exactly what Thrawn criticizes Padme for. Yep. Maybe this is the 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 expression of exactly what Thrawn is talking about, which is you got you get what you want and you leave. You're no different than the separ- you know, why yep. why are you even doing this?
2: Well it goes all the way back to Anakin killing all the Tusken raiders and yeah. Padme just seems to be like, oh well, he did something bad. Oh well.
1: Well he he at least he at least expresses sincere regret there. You know, with the Tusken Raiders, he's obviously broken. He's crying. He's upset. He's angry at himself. He it, and there, there's a moment where he's done this monstrous thing, but she can at least see that it's not a thing that he embraces. It's yeah. It's, we didn't get
2: that in this one,
1: right? But is that just because? I mean, I you know maybe maybe on my upcoming Clone Wars rewatch, you'll see this slow arc of. Anakin being indulged more and more. I I mean, the thing that jumps out in my brain is uh, when he stabs the guy through the back and his reaction with, you know... Oh, the Mandalorian arc? Yeah, yet. and Obi-Wan He was going to blow up the ship! Oh, Anakin. You know, like, it's, oh, you did it again.
0: <laughs> Oops, Anakin did it again. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. <laughs> See, but...
0: What I love is that you, yeah, this this whole thing with the uh, Thrawn and and Anakin and Padme. What we're getting to is this idea that Padme says at the end there about this cl- this it's collateral damage. You know that they're getting so used to war and death and kind of using people as pawns to quote unquote win, and this is exactly what Palpatine wants because it is getting everybody who knows better to betray. The morals to which they have been fighting to protect, which mm-hmm. is exactly the 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 thing that you know Ezra it, talks to um, Yoda about, and he's like, "How do we? If we don't fight, how can we win?" And Yoda says to him, "How Jedi chooses to fight, you know, like that's the question. Like, how do we choose to fight? Um, and and what what actions do we take to?" uh change the the galaxy Th- that's the question, and so everybody is falling into that it's not just Anakin it's obviously the the Jedi because they are taking a they they're 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 uh you know uh taking a chance on an unknown kid you know mm-hmm. um to to right the wrongs of the galaxy when they really had the ability to do that themselves but they put all of their eggs in one basket and they kind of, you know, have screwed themselves. And then they have become accustomed to writing things off as collateral damage. And it it destroys the very fabric of the Republic. And so, you know, and you've got Palpatine on the other side just pulling that thread, just watching it unravel and, like, cackling with glee as it happens it, because everybody's playing into his game. And so... I think that's the thing that makes this so fascinating. Um, We we really did touch on the idea of like you know Palpatine's plans there, as you know he's playing both sides and everything. So I wanted to ask you guys uh, kind of one more major thing that, that plays into this book because we learn a lot about the Chiss and the unknown regions, and this is something that has been kind of like teased, I think, a lot. For yeah. quite some time, and in, in, I mean, you know, you you got it um, with uh, you know the last throne book. It's the the idea has been in um, the aftermath trilogy, and it's been in other sections of the new canon. This idea of there's something out in the unknown regions. Palpatine was kind of preparing for it, you know, wondering what it was, you know, and all this stuff. And we're slowly starting to get that. So, what did you guys think about all of these? You know, little bits and pieces we finally started to get
1: it's intriguing because when it was first expressed about the idea of the unknown regions many, many years ago, I had a little bit of a, a tough time with it because it it almost made it seem as if Palpatine had some sort of almost defensible uh, yeah, method. You know, like there was almost a defensible goal where it was like, sure, he's evil, but there's something even worse out there. Whereas I think this book does an excellent job of recasting that as Thrawn being smart enough to know the Empire's not going to stop. It's not mm-hmm. that that Palpatine is so much preparing the galaxy against this extra galactic invader. And I mean, this goes all the way back to the 1980s Marvel run uh, with the Nagai and uh, of this extra galactic foe, which later is is expressed as the as the Yuzhan Vong. And it was always presented as, well, Palpatine knew something worse was on the way. So that's why he was sort of, you know, uh, you know, a super evil dude. This recasts it as the Empire wants to expand the Empire is gonna come out here eventually anyway. So Thrawn's view is I might as well get on board this train and try to direct it. And that to me is a much more believable and uh, it's a much more believable casting of Palpatine and not trying to to anti hero him up in some way to say that his mm-hmm. goal is to control it all. And the unknown regions are only going to be unknown for a little bit longer. And so we got to, you know, Thrawn wants to act to make sure that the Chiss aren't wiped out when it happens.
2: I've always been very interested in the unknown regions, and I loved it when it came up in this. But I really love how, like you were just saying, John, how the Thrawn and the Chiss relate to all this and what Thrawn's doing on his end to protect them. And we've been told about these hyperspace lanes and how it's difficult to navigate through the unknown region. So we're getting little bits and pieces through different books about this unknown region. If anything, I'm very interested in how the First Order later has a relationship or a hold of or hiding in the unknown region. And I want to know a lot more about that. That's probably what I'm more interested in. But the more we learn about the unknown region, the less it becomes the more it becomes known. So there's Mm -hmm. a piece of me that says, I find the unknown region be fascinating because it's a mystery because it is unknown. But then once we start to find out more about it, I think it may get less interesting to me because we start to know more about it and it becomes less of a mystery. So I'm hoping that they still keep it to a point that it's still mysterious for a long time, if forever, that we never get all the answers. We never really figure out exactly what this region is all about. Mm -hmm. So I liked how it's just just lightly given some context, some information about it without going too far. But I love how that we have somebody from the unknown region in a prominent role in the Empire, and that's fascinating to me.
0: The thing that I think I'm most excited about... um... Is that honestly? It it's kind of funny that of all of the stories with Thrawn and everything, um, this is uh, this is the 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 most we actually know about the Chiss. Um, the fact that they have force-sensitive beings in in their group and that that's how they navigate space, um, because the unknown regions are such a and 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 it reminded me. And this is what I loved is the synergy. I, there's so many rebels connections. One, uh, it reminded me of the maelstrom that the Lasat, uh, you go, th- you know, you go through this maelstrom to get to their home planet. So it's this area of like this stellar nursery, basically. And the unknown regions are very much like that as well. There's been this astronomical phenomena that has created this unstable region of space that makes it very hard to jump through and the just use uh these force sensitive children who for they don't know why but most of them tend to be girls uh and their precognition uh through the force to be able to jump and and be able to explore the regions of space since most of the space lanes don't stay space lanes for long periods of time and so uh and then the the role of the gisk in that and how um you know they seem to be wary of of the empire and their way of kind of taking somebody over is to slowly infiltrate you know uh and find their way in all of that to me is just fascinating that so it's like there's so much going on out there that i I do kind of want to know more about at least in that in that aspect, and then like you said, Bruce. You know, we have this whole thought process of that's where the uh, the First Order kind of goes. You know, the, the remnant of the Empire goes out there. And and then who knows where uh, Thrawn and Ezra end up after Rebels. So it's like it's, there's all this stuff that seems like it's pointing in that direction as being important. And finally, we got just a, a skosh amount of answers of, of what's
1: some of the stuff going on out there. Here's here's a a question I I need to ask. At one point, we find out that Thrawn was taken aback in meeting Anakin Skywalker because the Chiss word for these precognitives is essentially Skywalker. Did that work for you, or did you say, eh, "Really"?
0: It it to me, it felt Lucasian. It just felt like something Lucas would do
1: personally. So it worked. I
2: thought me. it was kind of neat it didn't like blow me away but I thought it was cute
1: (laughs) I thought it was cute as well yeah Yeah,
0: that's what I that's the word I come up with it's cute
1: but but I but at the same time I will completely uh, cop to the fact that I could understand somebody reading that and saying really you know like it's one of those things where I I think it works and I I agree with you guys it's cute but I would also not hold it against somebody who who didn't really dig on it.
0: So, a couple of things then, um kind of talking about this uh what did you think of this idea of traveling by hyperspace through the force like this? And then, you know, having uh Vader then learn this and and do that. What did did that guys did that work for you at all or was that you're like you're like oh, that hmm No, that worked for me. I mean, it makes
2: sense. I mean, if you can kind of see the future and use that to uh, navigate through hyperspace, it definitely worked for me. It worked for me more so than the Skywalker name. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, it it completely works for me. And if you want to be even uh, cheeky with it, you can say, well, makes sense why he was able to pilot his TIE fighter back, Uh, you know, no droid or anything and uh, get back from the Death Star. Maybe this is a turning point for Vader. That makes him even more dangerous as a long distance pilot. That he you know, he figures out how to tap how to expand his abilities as a pilot in this moment. And I I like that. Anything that makes the character seem like they've had a a moment that helps them grow or move forward, all on board with it. Well,
0: and and to me, again, this was something that connects with what we learned in Red Bulls with the Pergil. Um, and that, and of course it ties into the end of rebels as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, that they travel through hyperspace via the force. That's how they create their, their lanes of travel because they are force sensitive beings. Um, and so just this whole idea that this is possible, I think opens up so many different p- things that you could do be fascinating. And that, God, it just made me so excited to thought of like. The Ahsoka Sabine journeys looking for Ezra, you know, in the unknown regions, um, and what could happen in that kind of show, um, and and it was, you know, I, I, I was, I know some people kind of, you know, poo pooed the idea of the the some of the Force powers and in in, in uh, the Last Jedi, but. I'll be honest; those are some of the things that worked best to, for me. I thought they were really cool mm-hmm. um, that you could do those things, and it made sense. Like the force is this thing that connects all of us, so you can do these really crazy things. So, um, on top of that, then specifically, how did double vision work
1: for you? Seeing that double vision, I I thought it was clever. It it, it called to mind actually, um, uh, I it feels like I constantly make reference to the episode three novelization, but it it did, it worked. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really good use of that switching from, uh, you know, the, the, the third person omniscient to the first person, uh, and I, and the present. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a neat way to mix it up. And anything that gets me into the head of a Jedi Uh, or even a Sith, when the Force stuff is going on, I like it.
2: Yeah, same here. I really liked it. I thought it was interesting to get into the head. It actually makes you get an understanding of what it is a Jedi is thinking and what he's seeing and what he's doing when uh, dealing with different situations. So that was something very different. I don't recall any other novels quite approaching it this way, uh, but it's something I would really welcome seeing in future books.
0: Yeah. I uh, I agree with you both. Um, I, I've seen some people complaining about it, um, but I, I thought that what it did was it gave... It, Don did it on purpose mm-hmm. because what he's doing is he's setting up the reason that these children can do what they do because he's allowing you to experience what it's like to be a Force user and how... You know, somebody with the force can do the things they do, specifically a Jedi, you know, um, with what they experience when they're in battle, that they can almost see the future because of the force. And it makes them fast enough to deflect, you know, bolts of blasters and that kind of stuff. So to me, I'm right there with both of you. I, You know, anything that helps me experience what it's like to be a Jedi. um I'm all for that. And I thought Zahn did it really well. And again, it wasn't just a trick to give you an insight to Anakin. He's doing it specifically to allow you to understand then the Chiss, why the Gisk would be after these Chiss children, why they'd be so important. Um, and then the way in which Anakin then will be able to pilot to the, uh, the Gisk hideout. So, um, you know, I I I thought all of that was just it was really exciting and it was really fun and it, it I would like to see you know if if you um you know Claudia Gray's got that new book coming out with uh, Obi one and Qui Gon, be kind of interesting if Double Vision showed up there you know giving you an aspect of Jedi in their prime.
1: Yeah, I mean if if this becomes a sort of a shared conceit among the authors, that would work pretty well. Uh, but at the same yeah. time, I, I wouldn't you know. I wouldn't mandate it in any sort of way mm-hmm. because if an author isn't comfortable with it, obviously they're not going to want to use it and they're, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think this is, I think this is great because it puts another interesting tool in that toolbox. If another author wants to come in and say, hey, you know, i kind of like what you did there. You know, I I'm sure mm-hmm. that they have, um, you know, enough mutual admiration and respect to, you know, borrow each other's tools if they so desire. Right. Well, and the nice thing is,
0: is that, you know, because this is now there, you don't necessarily have to do it every time too because you already kind of now, if you've read this book, it's in the back of your mind that this is how Jedi are experiencing the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so when it just says that, you know, in the fight scene that they're able to block blaster bolts and everything, you can then add that to your experience, honestly. So I think that's kind of neat as well. Um, I feel like there's, I mean, this book is, is... We haven't even covered half of the cool plot points in, in so many were senses. We we have not ruined this story, I don't think, for anyone. Um, it's it's a fascinating read. Um, but I'm wondering where you guys came down in your ratings for uh, Thrawn Alliances. So, Bruce, um, yeah, what have you got?
2: It's a weird way to do shows
0: like this because...
2: I have a certain opinion of a book, but then when we talk through it, sometimes I think less of a book. Sometimes I think more of the book. If anything, I think I'm feeling more for this book after this conversation because it really gets me thinking as we're talking through different aspects of it. And so um, I'm going to give this a quadruple vision.
1: (laughs) Double vision. John thinking the same thing as Bruce about talking about the book and, and teasing out the themes. Um, the end result is that I think this is a really enjoyable book. I'm with Bruce. Uh, four out of five. Why not any higher? Because my metric is would this be a book that I could convince my wife who is not a diehard Star Wars fan could I convince her to read this? And I can honestly say, as much as I enjoyed it, as much as I love it, as much as I'm probably going to reread it, as much as I treasure it as part of my collection, I could not get her to read this book for Love or Money, because there's no hook that makes it that broadens its appeal outside of, "I desperately enjoy spending time in Star Wars and I want to read more Star Wars."
0: Um, the only thing that I would knock this book for, that, and we didn't really talk about anything that was negative, but um, I just wanted more description for the aliens. Mm. Um, and I feel like there's probably a reason for them not doing that, so that there's not enough for them to feel uh like okay, is 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 it it all the aliens are just so basically outlined for you. There's no real detail, so it gives them you know, the ability to do whatever they want, really, for the most part when they go and if they ever use these uh, and create them. But I was a little disappointed because, you know, it's like I don't really know, I don't have a great feeling of what, you know, the Darshi look like uh, or, you know, the um, the Gisk really look like. I mean, again, there is a very rudimentary explanation of, of their look, but it's it's not really enough to make me feel like, Connected to them as an alien species in Star Wars,
1: although you may see them, who knows when Batu comes to a galaxy near you? I
0: yeah, it's absolutely true. That's very true. So for me, um, I'm going to say that this is uh, four and a half out of five crashed Jedi starships, uh, in in you know trees them on, on Batu. <laughs> So I, I did. I really enjoyed this book. And and part of the enjoyment for me was, uh, as we said at the very beginning, the way in which Zahn was able to capture the voices of the characters. And if you can do that in a uh, tie-in novel, you're going a long way. Um, and he does that so well that I can be immersed in this book. And as we said, I feel as though I'm watching... A Clone Wars episode, then a Rebels episode, and a Clone Wars episode, and then a Rebels episode. And like it feels like something I would see now in those type of mediums. Or you you know, like a, a film that had those kind of flashbacks and flash forwards and stuff. So it's just it's really it's really well done and I really enjoyed it. So uh and I'm hoping it'll be really interesting to see um if Zahn gets the opportunity to do another one. The timeline is a little interesting since this one takes right, you know, before Season four begins, of Rebels, and we know what happens to him after that. So where you squeeze in, I'm not exactly sure, um, another uh, book. But I'll be fascinated to see if they get him to do another one. And if they do, I'll be right there to read it. So I'm really excited that uh, I had, you know, you, you two jedi masters to talk uh through it with me it's always a thrill to to have you guys here in the 602 club it, it it means a lot that you'd spend your uh as we record these on tuesday night together uh and thank you so much uh to our associate producers too through patreon we've got uh, ken tripp davis grayson and uh daniel noah who has just joined us as associate producer through patreon this is a huge network, and uh, to do this, we can't do it alone. Um, you know, in fact, um, I do know recently that um, we've just kind of been getting by. So, if if you can help us out in any way, go over to Patreon.com/slash/TrekFM. See how you can be part of the team. Um, We have some different contribution levels that you can help us out at to give you extra stuff. We like to give away extra things to you. But honestly, every little bit helps. And so, again, uh, Patreon.com is where you can support us and be part of the Trek FM team. Uh, Guys, uh, Bruce, um, I mentioned earlier a place where people can find you, but people probably weren't even paying attention to me. Uh, Where can people find you here on the network and elsewhere online? Because, well, they should. Well, you can
2: find me here on the network talking about other books, here uh, about star trek books on literary treks with dan gunther and you can find me talking star wars on the star wars report so it's kind of like we mix both podcasts talking star wars and books all into this podcast this episode right here for me so yeah um so check me out in those two places and you can find me of course always in the babel conference and you can find me on twitter at admiral underscore rex
0: mm. So you are an Admiral and Rex. Like, I like that. Yeah, see? And I got two Mm -hmm. Star Wars-type things going on. Well, I have another buddy over here who uh, has a lot of Star Wars name going on over on Twitter, but um, Master Mills where can everybody else find you
1: look for Kessel Junkie uh, the name is like the ghost of Tom Joad. if you call out to it it will be there and you can find me uh, co-hosting Words with Nerds uh, with, with my pal Craig out there in the ether and you can find me uh, actually over on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations uh, with uh, somebody named Matt Rushing
0: And who's that guy
1: oh. he's kind of a cool guy I like him. Yeah. Kind of fond yeah, of okay. him. He's all right. Um,
0: he's not bad, I guess. <laughs> but uh, you can find that Matt Rushing dude over on Twitter at MattRushing02. He's on Instagram under the same name. You can also find me here on the network with uh, Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine over on the Orb. Uh, I am also on the Nerd Party Network. And over there, I not only do aggressive negotiations with John Mills, But I also do owl posts with Dre Kaufman as we talk about the Harry Potter books one chapter at a time. Uh, We're in the middle of The Goblet of Fire, so make sure you check that out. It's a lot of fun. And then last but not least, I am doing a show called Cinema Stories with my good friend Courtney, and that's where we talk all about films but through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. i you.